0: Well, before our last carol, we're going to just reflect, uh, reflect briefly on uh, what it means for us to find hope in an age of fear. You can turn to uh, Luke 1, through 38, which is in your programs just a few pages back. And you know, there is two kinds of hope. There's a wishing hope, which most of us are familiar with. And there's a confident hope, which we sometimes experience. Uh, a wishing hope is, is just that. It's, it's a wish. It, it's you hope something good will happen. It's not based on reality, per se. Uh, it's just based on your desires. It's probably 90% doubt and 10% maybe there's a chance. I hope I get a pony for Christmas. (laughs) Not me personally, but. (laughs) I hope I land that gig and get discovered. Um, I hope I get married by next year. I hope I find the perfect house. I hope I get that raise. I hope I get that promotion. That's a wishing hope. And that's the hope that we traffic in. But there's another kind of hope there's a confident hope. A confident hope is not based on feelings. It can certainly impact your feelings, but it's based in reality. It's based on something sure. It's based on history, based on research. Last night, uh, Laura and I hosted our uh, Emmanuel Anglican staff Christmas party, and the staff showed up with a confident hope that whatever Laura put on their plate would melt in their mouth. Why did they have that confident hope? Not because they felt a certain way, but because last year the food melted in their mouth and they talked about it all year long. (laughs) A wishing hope and a confident hope are two entirely different things. It's the difference between watching game seven of the World Series in real time, that's a wishing hope, and watching game seven of the World Series as it's recorded, the highlight reels. That's the confident hope. There's gonna be a rain delay, and then they're gonna get it back together, and the curse will be broken. What kind of hope do you have for your life? What kind of hope do you have for our city, for our country, for our world? Do you have a wishing hope, hoping that things will be okay? Or do you have a confident hope, a sure confidence, based on reality, that it will be okay? Writer and journalist Neil Strauss recently wrote an essay for the Rolling Stone magazine called, Why We're Living in an Age of Fear. And he argues, um, kind of from the latest brain research, that people lose hope when their attention is fixed on big problems that they can't solve. When your attention is fixed on big problems that you cannot solve, hope drains away and gives way to fear. There's an internal state of alarm that grows when you fixate on things and are given attention to things that you can't influence. So personally, let's take a personal example. Maybe there's someone in your life that you really care about and you see them giving way to addiction. And they're not listening to your warnings. And internally, your alarm bells are going off, but, but they've closed off any sense of advice or influence from you. Each time they shut you out, hope diminishes. Or maybe socially, um, maybe you're concerned about the racial and social divisions in our country. I was on my way here and I was talking with my, my Lyft driver I was talking about, how has 2016 been for you? And he's just like, it's been a hard year, and, and I'm concerned about minorities. I'm concerned about people who could be discriminated against. And he was sharing the sense of growing fear and a lack of hope. Maybe you hear about shootings in our city, and every time you hear about the shootings, you're like, what can I do? I can't do much, but I can, I can be aware of it, but I can't influence it. Or maybe politically, you're aware of big decisions made in our city. Made in our state, made in our country, made around the world. They're decisions that trouble you deeply. They shake you to your core, but you can't influence it. You can't do anything about it. Fear grows, hope diminishes. So does 2016 leave you with a doubting hope, or does it leave you with a confident hope? Is it leaving you hopeless altogether? If you're feeling hopeless in an age of fear, what would it look like for you to recover hope? Would it just be a wish, or would it be based on something true? What would it look like to hope again for the first time in a long time? You know, we have so much to learn from Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, she was about as powerless as you could imagine in her day. And she was living in a time of great upheaval on every level. And Here she was. She was a teenager. She was, she was female. She was poor. She was an ethnic minority living in a small town in a great, huge, expanding, and violent empire. From the perspective of people in power, you know, Mary was a nobody. It would have been nothing to, to, to run over her. She was kind of like a little pawn in the great events of that day. It's very unlikely that Mary felt like, I'm Mary, the mother of Jesus. (laughs) And yet Mary had an encounter with the living God that left her in a state of confident hope. Not a wishing hope, not a sentimental hope, not a religious hope, but a confident hope based on her encounter with the living God. And that confidence would grow as she began to follow God. She would be a vulnerable, yet a very powerful part of God's plan to make the world right, not only in her life, but also in the Roman Empire and in the entire world. When we're short on confident hope, we need the same encounter. We need to see the living God. So let's look at what God revealed to Mary. Looking at Luke 1, the first thing we see is that God revealed his grace to Mary. God revealed his grace to Mary. Reading in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Why did Mary not need to be afraid? Because the living God had favor for her. Why did God choose this teenager, this peasant, this nobody to share his good plans? Why is Mary a favored one? Why is Mary a graced one? Because this is who God is. God is full of grace for people like Mary, people who are nobodies, People who are imperfect. Don't imagine Mary with a halo over her head. Mary was just like you and me. She was an ordinary person with flaws and shortcomings and immaturities and uncertainty. She did not have perfect faith. She did not have a perfect life. And yet God had favor and grace for her because that's who God is. God has grace for the weak and the marginalized. God has grace to lavish on us even when we're part of the problem that we see in the world. God has grace for us when we're addicted, when we're mean, when we're selfish, when we're greedy, when we're exploiting the poor. God has grace for us. God has grace for us for the things that we feel ashamed about and we don't wanna tell anyone about because that's who God is. He's full of grace. He made us and he looks upon us With compassion. And God doesn't just have that grace, He pursues us with that grace. It's initiative taking grace. It's grace that sometimes finds us when we're not kind of sure what sort of greeting that is. He doesn't wait for us to ask for it, He doesn't wait for us to seek it. God's grace finds us and it found Mary. God sits on what one author of Scripture calls the throne of grace that overflows, whether we ask for it to overflow or not. Overflowing for people who are poor, overflowing for people who are imperfect, overflowing for me, overflowing for you. When we feel hopeless, when we feel a lot of fear about how things are going in the world, the first... that we need to recover our hope is to experience the grace of god which is not only for us but for the whole world he's not here to condemn and blow up the world because he's so mad he is here because he has grace for the whole world including individual people who are full of flaws mary did not deserve special treatment i don't deserve special treatment and neither do you But God has grace for her, and for me, and for you, and for people like Timothy. He loves you in a way that no one else does. It's true, he knows you inside and out better than you know yourself. And he looks upon you with such compassion, with such love, and that is what Mary discovered. God doesn't just have grace for individuals. He has grace for families that are screwed up and messed up. He has grace for neighborhoods with a long history of division and violence and racism. God has grace for workplaces that are full of political squabbles. He has grace for churches that are messy. He has grace for cities that are despised and for states that don't have a budget and for a country that's divided. He has grace for a world that's been ripped through with wars and upheaval. He's got enough grace to cover and redeem every problem that brings you trouble, every issue that you can see but can't quite influence. God is capable and He's good and He's aware. He has grace for the things that trouble us the most. And that's one of the first things that Mary experienced. God revealed His grace to her. Not only His grace, God revealed His plan to Mary. He revealed His plan to Mary. It would have been your plan. It would have been my plan. But here's the plan. Verse 31. Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know, This must have been a head trip for Mary. She's going to become pregnant and this baby won't just be her son. This baby will be God's son. This means that he will be an ethnic minority in the great Roman Empire, but he'll also be a global king. This means that he'll be vulnerable. He'll he'll be like you and me. uh, flesh and blood, vulnerable to suffering, vulnerable to death. And yet he'll be powerful enough to raise many to life and to defeat death itself. This means that he will know what it's like to just be one tiny person in a great big world full of problems. Yet by God's power, he will also make the world new and just and right, and he'll do it forever. This means, this plan means that, yeah, this baby is going to be your son, Mary. You'll give birth to him. You'll raise him. You'll do what mothers do. You'll watch him grow up. But this baby will also be the son of the Most High. He'll be the son of God. He'll make the world right in a way that no one else is expecting. Do Do you see how unexpected this plan is, this strategy. God is choosing to become a human being. The living God is choosing to submit himself to the womb of Mary and to the suffering of human life. He will experience frailty. He will experience suffering. And yet he'll be the king and leader that you and I both hunger for, that we're all waiting for, a leader who's wise and strong, And humble and good, whose kingdom never ends. You see, Jesus, God's Son, experienced the worst injustices that we see in our world today racism, poverty, wars, corruption. He's not distant, He's not some distant God. He entered that, He saw it, He suffered from it, and He's working to redeem us. He's working to redeem the world. He's humble enough to suffer with us. Can you imagine that? A living God that would be humble enough to know what it's like to be, who would would be born and to die, not in a virtual reality sense, but in a reality sense, human existence. This is God's plan that was revealed to Mary. I'm going to become one of you. I'm going to become a human being. And I will be powerful enough to restore all things. He revealed his grace to Mary. He revealed his plan to Mary. And finally, to restore Mary's hope and ours, he revealed his power to Mary. Verse 34 says this, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her that Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of god and behold your relative elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the first and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren for nothing will be impossible with god god is saying mary you know what if you don't yet believe me if my grace isn't enough if my plan isn't enough you're going to experience firsthand the holy spirit will come over you and you will physically experience an actual pregnancy by my power and you will still be a virgin miracle the virgin birth now maybe you believe in that and maybe you don't because it's a miracle there's nothing else to it now that would restore that would help build mary's confidence in the power of god what would that have been like to experience that Let's say you have doubts that this happened. It's okay that you have doubts. It's normal to have doubts. Think of it this way. If God exists, if there's a loving God, and there's a really strong chance that there is, isn't it possible to him to intervene in a world that he's created in a way that is loving and creative and just? And isn't it possible for God not only to to perform this miracle, but to perform the miracle of renewing things that seem absolutely hopeless to you right now. It is possible, but we have to be like Mary and ask for God to show us his power in our life personally. For us to have confidence in the power of God, many of us need to begin by saying, God, if you exist and if you love me and if you're working in my world, I need to see it in my life. So please show me. The living God answers prayers like that, prayed by ordinary, doubting, imperfect human beings. And you can begin with that prayer today. God, show me your power like you showed it to Mary. Let me tell you what Mary saw in her lifetime. Not only did she experience the miracle of Jesus' virgin birth, she also saw the miracle of what happened in the community uh, around Jesus that began to follow him. She saw divisions being broken down. She saw after his death and resurrection, she witnessed the community of Jesus display a multi-ethnic unity that the Roman Empire up to that point hadn't seen. She saw people's lives being changed. She saw someone who was, uh, was completely oppressed and, 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 and uh, completely broken down, completely set free to flourish. The Roman Empire saw even more things. After Mary died, the Roman Empire saw the community of Jesus filled with his spirit, staying and taking care of the lepers that everyone else had abandoned. They saw miracles happen on a personal level, a societal level, a racial level, and a global level that hadn't been seen before Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The living God is powerful and he's at work in our world. But we have to see it first, his grace, his plan, and his power. And it begins with saying, show me your power like you showed it to Mary. Show me your grace, show me your plan to renew all things, and show me your plan to renew my life. When we look out into the world, sometimes all we can feel is a doubting wish a weak wish, a sentimental wish that it would just get better. But by God's power, he will reveal himself to us and he can transform our doubting wish and our doubting hope into nothing less than a confident hope. For with God, nothing is impossible. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.